0: Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning to you. How are you this morning? Good, good, good. Uh, I have a question for you. How many of you have a favorite meal or a favorite place to eat? Anybody? That ought to be everybody in this room. You've got a favorite meal. I know you do. And if we had a chance to to talk about it... um, I would share with you mine. Actually, I'm going to share with you about mine right now. So uh, some of you know I went to school uh, at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. They have an extension center here in Atlanta. And uh, I went to school here in Atlanta. But I had to spend about a third of my time during my seminary days uh, going to New Orleans. And here's what that looked like. It looked like a bunch of pre-work before you went to class, a, a week's worth of class, and then a bunch of post-work when you got done. So about a third of my time, it ended up being about 12 or 13 weeks uh, that I would spend in New Orleans. If you know anything about New Orleans, you know it has really good food, at least a lot of the places do. Uh, And so my first time going to New Orleans, um, I didn't know New Orleans had good food, and I didn't know really what I was doing, and I literally just walked down the street to the Piccadilly. That was not my favorite meal, Um, but that's what I did. But eventually... Uh, I made some friends with guys that lived down there, and they said, Hey, John, we want to take you to our favorite restaurant where you will have the best meal of your life. And I went, Wow, that's setting the bar up pretty high because I I like to eat, and there's a lot of good meals that are out there. And so I was like, All right, let's go do it. And so they said, Hey, we're going to take you to this place called Charlie's Steakhouse. And so we drive from, from the school to w- where this steakhouse is. And quite frankly, it was in a little bit of a neighborhood that I wasn't sure that I wanted to get out in the middle of the night. Um, th- it, was, it, was a, it was a pretty rundown looking place. Uh, the sign outside was relatively small, and it like, only flickered sometimes. So I was going, I don't know that this is where I should be. But nonetheless, the best meal of my life, at least was what my friends was telling me, was waiting just behind that sign. So we get out of the car, we walk in. And I realize I'm in a weird spot because I walk into a bar, right? Now, literally a bar. It's a wall of just all kinds of alcohol on there. And, And I'm thinking to myself, this is probably not the best place for three seminary guys, right? But what was weirder than just walking into the bar was this. There's nobody in that room. I don't mean just no customers, there was no bartender, there was no like welcome person when you came in the room, there were no waiters, waitresses, there was, there was nobody doing nothing in that room. And so I was going, how in the world could this be a place where I'm going to get the best meal of my life and there's nobody here? That doesn't make sense, because I mean, if you set the bar that high, when you walk in, you expect there to be people, right? The answer to that question is yes, right? <laughs> So now I'm questioning my buddy, and I kind of look at him, and he's going, man, don't worry, just keep walking. And so we walk towards the back of that room, and as I get towards the back of the room, I hear a commotion going on behind the door that we're getting ready to go into, and I'm going, okay, this is weird, in a bar, three seminary guys, we're getting ready to walk through a door, there's a joke coming, right? This is true, actually. So we we open the door, and that's where the restaurant is, and there's all kinds of people enjoying like a great meal, at least it looked like a great meal to me. And so we sit down, uh, and the waitress comes up and says, what are you guys going to have? And I said, well, I'd like to see a menu. And she kind of rolled her eyes like, we don't use menus here. So obviously I was not a local and had never been there before. And so I said, well, I don't know what to order if you don't tell me what you have. And so ballpark, here's what she said. We have a big steak and a small steak. (laughs) Any questions? And I went, give me the big steak. And I said, what goes along with my big steak? And she goes, oh, come on. I just told you we don't have a menu. I was like, yes, I know you don't have a menu, but tell me what you have. She goes, we have potatoes au gratin, mushrooms, um, onion strings, I think is what they were called, and a wedge salad. And I went, and she goes, all of that stuff is family style. Your steak is what you order on your own. Everything else is family style. And I said, well, we're going to have all of it. So we ordered all of it. And here's what came to our table, all right? There it is right there. You can see the potatoes are rotten in the back. We're missing the onion strings, but there's the steak. These, by the way, are literally from Charlie's Steakhouse. Um, not from back then, because I didn't have a cell phone that would take pictures. Um, and I certainly didn't Instagram my food, but we called Charlie's and said, hey, can you send us this? And then there's a wedge salad in the back that you can tell is not mine, because it has tomatoes up there on it. But nonetheless, um, it was incredible. It literally was the best meal that I've ever eaten. It became a staple for us as we would go to New Orleans. Remember, I had to go down there multiple weeks, and it was the thing that made going to class tolerable, because you knew one night you were going to go get this, and man, it was just good. So fast forward to the end of my seminary career, I'm there for my last week, and my buddies and I, we were all excited about doing Charlie's Steakhouse one last time, because I didn't have plans to go back to New Orleans. And so um, we had planned to go on Thursday, and I had figured out what classes to take by that point. My buddies didn't. They were taking the hard stuff Um, on those workshops. I always found the ones that weren't quite so hard that didn't make you spend your time um, in the library till midnight. And so uh, my teacher decided to let us out of class on Thursday, the day that we were to go to Charlie's Steakhouse at 1 o'clock. And I was like, sweet, so I'll go back to the hotel room, I'll go back to the hotel room, and I'd like to tell you that as a seminary student, that I went back to my hotel room and I read my Bible quietly, right? Because that's what you do when you're in seminary, right? And so I didn't do that, because here's the other thing, and I have a confession to make, especially after last week's sermon. One of the things that we would typically do, and aside to just making Charlie Steakhouse a staple of what we would do, we would typically bring our Nintendo 64, yes, that's how long ago it was, and we would play a game called James Bond 007, GoldenEye. If you've played that game, you know what I'm talking about, and you know why I'm confessing to you, because last week we learned that's not something that we ought to be doing, right? And so um, I don't play that any longer, as of last Sunday. But <laughs> um, here's what I thought. I thought it's one o'clock, my buddies aren't going to get out of class until five, I can practice, so that when we play Goldeneye tonight, I can wipe them off the face of the earth, right? That's what I was thinking. So I turn on the TV, I turn, start playing Goldeneye, I'm going, ah, and then I go, man, I'm a little hungry. Because you know what, I didn't eat a lot of lunch, because I knew this was waiting for me. That steak that you're seeing right there on the screen was waiting for me, so I didn't eat a lot of lunch. And I looked over to my nightstand, where I had brought some snacks, right? Because every good American brings snacks when you travel, right? And so I brought snacks. Well, here was the snack that was sitting on my nightstand. It looked a lot like this. Cheez-Its. And I thought to myself, I like Cheez-Its, I brought them, they're mine. I love those things. What's the harm in having just a few Cheez-Its as I'm playing GoldenEye? Right? So, I go over, get my box, put it right next to me. I sit back down, and man, I'm just going to town playing Goldeneye. And I'm taking bites of Cheez-Its as it goes along. The next thing I know, it's 5.30. My buddies come busting through the door. And they're like, John, it's time to go to Charlie's Steakhouse. And I'm like, what? You mean it's 5.30 already? Look at my watch. Sure enough, it was 5.30. Y'all, I didn't want to go to Charlie's Steakhouse. Because you know what I did to that box of Cheez-Its? I polished it off. In about three and a half hours. I had no desire to eat the, best, the last best meal of my life, much less the I mean, it was like it. I ruined it with a box of cheeses. So I go to Charlie's Steakhouse, and I just kind of pick at the food, and it was not a very good or memorable experience. Now, hold that thought. We're in a series on the Ten Commandments, and as Pastor Keith has taught us these Ten Commandments or Ten Words, they're, they're a moral code. Uh, they're a safety net to help us to not harm ourselves. They, they help us to know a little bit about God's character and how you and I can relate to God. And they tell us a little bit about how we're to relate to one another. They also teach us that we have a need for a Savior. Because I don't know about you, but so far in our Ten Commandments, have, is, have any of y'all kept like all of them? Like even since just last Sunday? answer our question is probably no. These things help us to know and, and identify the fact that you and I need a Savior. So we come to Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Let me read this for you. It says, very plainly, you must not commit adultery. That's it, Exodus 20, 14. You must not commit adultery. And so when Keith asked me a few weeks ago, almost a month ago, and he said, hey, John, would you be willing to preach on whatever today's date is? March 24th, is that right? I looked at my calendar and I was like, yes, I can preach. And then I thought to myself, wait a second. We're in the Ten Commandments. There's only one commandment that I really don't want to preach on. And I said, so Keith, I'll, I'll do it, but what's the passage? And he goes, Exodus 2014. And I went, okay, I know the Ten Commandments. I don't have them all memorized by the verse necessarily. Probably I should. I was a seminary student, but I don't. I opened up my Bible, and I went, seriously... I got the don't commit adultery passage. So let's, let me, let's just acknowledge just a little bit what we're all thinking and feeling right now, or at least what I'm thinking and feeling right now. I'll project on you. This is awkward, right? It's going to get awkward. How about that? Um, it's just awkward. It's, it's weird to talk about. We as a society, we as a church, when I say church, I mean church at large, typically don't address these things. Why? Because they make us uncomfortable. We also don't address it sometimes because we think, okay, I got it. It simply says don't commit adultery, I can just not do that, and I'm good. I'll, I'll be fine. Or I'm not cheating on my spouse. Or I'm not married, so this doesn't even apply to me. We'll address that in a minute, because it does. And then again, it's just awkward to talk about, right? My boys are not in this room today because of what we're talking about. Because it's just awkward, because they've heard me tell this before. So we had this conversation, but they were like, Dad, we really don't want to sit in here today. I was like, I got you, I understand. So they're over in the student ministry. It's no problem. And then they said, Dad, you're not going to put up the good sex sign like we had a couple years ago, right? And I said, no, boys, you don't have to worry about that. It's not coming back out. Although, just so you all know, it does show up in our house every once in a while, right? So we took it off the front and uh, put it down at breakfast every once in a while just for the boys to see. I'm just kidding. Actually, I do do that every once in a while. Here's a problem that we have, though. The problem is this. As a society, we've got this whole thing messed up. One of the stats that I ran across says this, is that about 90% Of pastoral counseling, so here's what that is: is someone goes to see a pastor for help. About 90% of the time, this is what stats say. It's not necessarily been my experience, but stats tell us about 90% of the time it has to deal with sex or marriage. All right, that's a lot. I didn't I didn't go through and like dissect that study to make sure that it was a completely legitimate, done right study. But let's just give them the benefit of the doubt and say they're half right. That's still a lot. Right? That's a lot of people going and needing help in this area. Our culture has trivialized lust and adultery. We watch movies. We read books. And we even cheer for people in stories, in movies or books, to get together with people that aren't their spouses. Like they were high school sweethearts and somehow they got separated. And they've got these other marriages and then they meet again somehow. And we're like, oh, please get back together. Right? Because the story... Tellers are weaving a story to try to get us to think a certain way. Here's another stat I ran across. This study said about two of every three husbands and close to one out of every two wives will commit physical adultery. Now again, I've got to be honest with you and say I didn't go through and pull all the data and make sure that they were legitimate studies, right? Because, you know, there are illegitimate studies out there. But let me just say, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say they're half right. That's a lot of people that are engaging in something that Scripture tells us not to do. And it's dangerous for us. We even as a Christian community, and when I say this, I mean really nationwide, maybe even worldwide, we just don't don't think about this right any longer in general. Lindsay and I have a friend that um, she was looking to try to meet... She was single, she was looking to try to meet somebody that she could date, and maybe um, maybe fall in love with, and get engaged to, and get married. And uh, she had been looking on one of the Christian dating websites. Now, I'm not bashing those sites, I mean, that's okay to, to use those if you need to. But she told us this story, and she said, John, listen, she said, Um, I meet guys on this website that profess to be followers of Christ because this particular one I think had their testimony on there or something like that as she was talking, And she said we would talk on the phone and they would talk about and profess about being a follower of Christ and going to church. But most of them, she said, almost all of them is actually her words. Most of them and all of them had, or most all of them, had an expectation that they would come to the house in just a few dates. And it wasn't for just like camping out in the backyard. They had an expectation that sex would follow along. Y'all, we're missing it. If that's what you are, are doing, living, if that's what you think is okay, then we need to study God's word together because that is totally contrary to God's word and God's direction. So we're going to dig in and we're going to find out what God is teaching us in this, that, that this part of thou shall not commit adultery. Now, it is without question that this passage and other Bible passages teaches us that we are not to have sexual relations With anyone other than our spouse in a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. That is what scripture teaches us. This means that if you're not yet married, it still applies to you. Why? Because you're not yet in a covenant relationship marriage between one man and one woman. And so it applies to you. You can't um, go outside of those bounds. If you are married... That if you engage in a physical relationship with someone other than your spouse, it's wrong and harmful. Proverbs 6.32 teaches us, the one who commits adultery lacks sense. Whoever does this destroys himself. So does this mean we can just say, okay, we're not physically involved with somebody, so we're okay, and we can just kind of pack up our Bibles, go home and find a steak that looks like Charlie's Steak's? Unfortunately, no. Because just like last week when Pastor Keith stood up here and he said, hey, I'm afraid that maybe we have a room full of murderers, because we were on the doubt shalt not kill Um, Ten Commandment, I'm afraid we might be in a room full of adulterers. Now, why would I say something like that? Because we have to look at Jesus' words as he was teaching about the commandments. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27, Jesus teaches this. He says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Literally quoting Exodus, what we just read a few moments ago. Jesus says, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell Jesus just raised the bar for us in this one. He says, "Y'all, listen. He says, "If you look at someone lustfully, you are credited with adultery." Those are Jesus' words, not mine. So what is lust? I mean let's define that for us so we can understand what it means. Lust is looking upon someone purposefully in order to desire sex with them, or an intimate relationship with them. And I've heard people say, hey, listen, it's okay for me to look at other people as long as I'm not really involved with them. Or it's okay for me to read whatever or to see whatever. It's just a good story. It doesn't harm me. But Jesus says, wrong. These things actually cause damage. They cause harm to people. Y'all, marriages break up because one of the two is addicted to pornography. I've seen marriages break up. I've heard of that. Happening. And you might could say, well, it's not like physical, the same thing as physical things. Well, ask the spouse, who's the spouse of the one that's addicted to pornography. It feels like it is. Now why? Because Jesus says sin really it, it begins in the heart. It begins in the heart. Now I want to clue you in on something. God actually designed sex, He created it as a gift between a husband and a wife. God God wants you to have great sex and and do it in a way that he has created it to be done in the context of a marriage relationship. He's given instruction that out of the marriage relationships, um, that it's harmful to us. And you can disagree with that, but listen, y'all, you can't disagree that that's what scripture teaches. If you're listening to somebody that says they're preaching God's word and they're saying that it's okay to, to, to view, watch, do, or something like that, They're playing fast and loose with with Scripture. Scripture teaches y'all that we've got to be careful that sex is only between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. God gives us guidance for a good life, a life that wins. And so I want us to look at some of the causes that we can find in Scripture, some of the consequences, and I want to give you uh, some things that you can do as part of a cure. So generally speaking, what we have to remember is this, is that a one-night stand being physically involved with somebody, and quite frankly then also fantasizing about somebody, doesn't just happen. Usually it's a series of events that lead to that particular sin. It begins in our hearts. That's what Jesus would tell us. Jesus' words are in Matthew, it begins in the heart. Now, many of you know the story of David and Bathsheba. Some of you don't. That's okay. I'm going to kind of highlight just some like, very quick highlights of the story of David and Bathsheba. Um, but David is, was the king, uh, and he is supposed to be out with his army fighting. But he remained home. In other words, he was not where he was supposed to be. His heart was not in the right place. And then we're told in the story that he went walking on his roof, I believe probably intentionally, late in the day, and he sees a beautiful woman that's bathing on top of her roof. And so he continues to be in this compromising situation. He allows himself to be there. And he gazes upon her. And then David dwells on her. And he desired to have her. And he, Scripture doesn't say it this way, but I would say he fantasized about her. Now why would I say that? Well, because Scripture says he sins for her in just a few moments. Now, let's take a step back for just a second. I get it today, we don't walk around on our roofs, or at least hopefully you don't. And you certainly don't bathe, bathe on your rooftop. At least hopefully you don't. But y'all, we do have the internet, we have movies, we have books, we have our, our phones, uh, we have, and they give us images that we desire. Maybe it's a physical desire of looking at the opposite sex and desiring to be intimate, or looking at the opposite sex and comparing them to our current spouse. But when we do that, we're desiring someone who is not ours, nor is intended to be ours. And we've got to be careful about dwelling on So, David then sends for Bathsheba. She comes to the room. Um, This leads to a physical encounter between David and Bathsheba. Such a physical encounter that she becomes pregnant. And then, David begins to rationalize and continue. David makes plans to cover up the sin. Now, today we may say things like, just one more time. I've got one last sales meeting and so and so, and I'm going to meet this person one more time. It'll be the last time I promise. Or we may say, if my spouse just meets my, met my needs more, or if my spouse, spouse just understood me more, or I'm just too weak, or this person has just become more important to me than my spouse. That's how we begin to rationalize, or to rationalize things. But David's sin of adultery, which started in his heart's heart, leads to terrible consequences, and it will do the same for us. Adultery, lust, and affairs will cause pain to you and others. In David's case, a man dies, a child dies, and a course of events are charted out in David's life that are terrible. If you go through and you read Second um, Samuel, adultery and lust and affairs—they will cause people to become liars and deceivers. In David's case, he lied uh, to Joab. He lies to Uriah, who Uriah is Bathsheba's husband. He tries to trick Uriah into coming home. Uriah does come home, but he won't go inside to sleep with his wife because he's supposed to be out there fighting the battle. Adultery lust and affairs will cause people to do things they never thought possible. David becomes a murderer. We heard a little bit about this last week, but he had Uriah killed so that he could marry Bathsheba to cover up his sin. Now, we probably won't go that far, most of us in this room. Anybody ever watched 2020? It happens sometimes, right? So we probably won't go so far as to actually kill somebody like David did, but we'll leave our jobs, we'll leave our kids, we'll careers, places where we live, because we believe that we found a better person. And there can even be long-lasting effects. In David's case, his daughter is raped by her half-brother, who is then killed by the older brother, Who then flees and is gone for three years and comes back to conspire against David, and again there's all kinds of just craziness that goes on then in this story in Second Samuel chapters eleven through eighteen. I encourage you to go back and read it. But but it's it was all set because David engaged in a sin of the heart that led to a physical affair with a lady named Bathsheba. So what are we to do? You might be saying, great, John, I hear you. Physical adultery is damaging. But remember, Jesus raised the bar and says, mental adultery is damaging as well. The world is full of sexual images and messages that are contrary to God's teaching. And I think the answer is simply this, and this is hard, but don't eat the Cheez-Its. Don't eat the Cheez-Its, y'all. Don't trade something of great value, the steak at Charlie's Steakhouse, For something that really has no nutritional value. Now just in case the Cheez-It makers are out there. I still like Cheez-Its and I eat them as a snack every once in a while, right? But y'all get what I'm saying? Don't eat the Cheez-Its. Because you are trading something of little nutritional value. For something. You're giving up something terrible. You're giving up something great. To say it bluntly. Sex inside a covenant marriage is the incredible meal. And sex outside of a covenant marriage is the cheap snack. It might be good for a moment, it might even sound fun, but it doesn't satisfy in the long run. And it causes damages, those consequences that we just went over. So I want to give you six, excuse me, seven steps to help you not eat the cheez And if that's too corny for you to write down, I get it. You can say these are seven steps to help me avoid lust and adultery. Step number one is this. Make a commitment in advance to keep God's standards. The best time to make a plan of action is before you're in the middle of uh, when you need the plan. The best time to make the plan of action is to make it now before you're in the middle of it. Psalm 119 says, How can a young man keep his heart pure? By living according to your word, is what scripture says. So what does that mean? It means, it means that we have to study God's word together. Study it on our own. We understand then what it means and teaches and we begin to live by it. The best place for us to find our values and our morals is not from our friends or from self-help books. It's actually to go to our creator. Well, how do we go to our creator? This is how we do it. We study God's word together, and we find out what does God's word have to say. Let me read for you a couple of verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 and 5. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. And then Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 3, says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness. To God, God's word says that sex is only for marriage. And some of you might say, well, if God really loved me, he wouldn't give me these desires. Or if God really loved me, he wouldn't limit my freedom or restrict what I can do. Now, how many of you have kids? Anybody? All right. How many of you ever been around a kid? There should I bear bells? Right? Okay. Every hand's gone up at least. How many of you think it's a good idea to let a kid do whatever they want whenever they want? Anybody? man, that's usually a bad idea, right? Both of my boys had the privilege of growing up in a town where both sets of grandparents lived. My mom helped take care of our boys, um, when they, especially when they were a lot younger. She still does in a lot of ways. But she would watch them for, uh, for Lindsay and I as, as we were working. So uh, Caleb was about two and a half. Luke had not yet been born. And um, Lindsay's at work. I'm at work. I go down to pick Caleb up in the minivan, and we're driving home. And we like to talk about the day. He was only two and a half, but man, he had words and he could tell you all about his day and he loved doing it. And so I would love talking to him about it. And so I was like, Caleb, how was your day? And we talk about it and he, he tells me what he had to eat. And I said, well, what did grandma give you for dessert? And he goes, I had three bags of Skittles. And I went, huh, that seems like a lot of sugar. I'll probably have to have a conversation with grandma at some point about this. And then I thought, maybe they were fun-sized bags and maybe that's not quite so bad having three of them. Because fun size bags, they go pretty quick, and if it was scattered throughout the day, maybe that's fine. So then I asked a question, because I also had the realization that, that we were nowhere near Halloween, which means there were no fun-sized bags available, right? And so I said, Caleb, did you have the big bags or the small bags? Because he knew the difference. And he went, big bags. And I went, gotcha. So... We're driving down a little bit more. We start, we start talking about something else. And you know, you know those little rearview mirror things? Not your rearview mirror that you see cars behind you, but the one that you can see your kids sitting behind you. So I look up in that, and the kid has turned 27 shades of green. And then the next thing I know, he is spewing a rainbow of colors. <laughs> if you've seen the movie The Exorcist, it was sort of like that, but rainbow stuff. If you've not seen that movie, forget that illustration. All right. Um, I also thought at the time, man, not only did you eat three bags of big Skittles, but you had like four gallons of water or something because it's sloshing around the van floor. <laughs> it was terrible. It was all because Caleb wanted to eat some Skittles. And so I was like, hey, there you go. Now, for the record, I had permission to tell that story from both of them. They both laughed about it when I asked permission to do that. But letting kids do their own thing whenever they want is typically not a good idea. Y'all, it's the same thing for us as adults. We live in a broken and sinful world. And because of that, God has given us guidance and standards of how we're to live to help us maximize our lives. And if he was to say, hey, just go do what you want, most of us would do the equivalent of eating Cheez-Its or eating three bags of Skittles. And it doesn't end well. Step number two, maintain your marriage. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18-19 through 19 says that we are to rejoice in our wife or spouse, and be satisfied. Now what does that mean? Rejoice in Hebrew means to glitter or sparkle. That means to be excited about the one you are married to, or the one that you will be married to if you're single. Be satisfied means that we shouldn't compare our spouse to other people, or our future spouse, because here's the deal, there are no perfect people. There's nobody perfect out there. Everybody actually stinks when they start working in the yard and they're sweating, right? They do. Everybody has a bad day, The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. It's greener where you water it, y'all. So work on your marriage relationship. It's not always easy, but work on it. Do studies together, pray together, go to seminars together, do something together and work on that. Listen, science has found that there are chemicals that are released in our brains when we engage in sexual activity. Those chemicals are designed, and science will tell you this, they won't necessarily tell you that it's God, some will, some won't, But that chemical actually bonds you to the person that you're having sexual intercourse with. Just being blunt. It bonds you to them emotionally. Y'all, God designed it that way. He designed it to be a gift between a husband and a wife to help bond them together. Those chemicals don't know if you're with your spouse or not your spouse. Just not the way that it works. So when you're engaged in something either with lust or in physical adultery, you're bonding yourself to someone who's not your spouse. One other tip for maintaining your marriage is this, fatigue will kill romance. I get it, we live in a world where we have to work, and we work hard. But Make time for your spouse, put it on the calendar, do a date night, go on a weekend vacation together. Because if you're tired all the time, romance goes down the tubes. Step number three, protect your mind. James chapter 1 verses 14 through 15 teaches us uh, that temptation is the pull of our own evil thoughts and wishes. And these lead to actions. The battle starts in the mind. If someone gets your attention, you continue to think about them, they will eventually get your feelings. And if you don't do anything about it, they will eventually get physical actions. Now, I want to be clear on something. Lust is not just noticing that someone is attractive. It's impossible not to notice that someone is attractive. But lust is continuing to think about that person who is not to be yours. Step number four, be careful and monitor your media intake. I'm going to step on some toes here, but I'm going to try to be as gracious as I I can. I'm also going to try to step on everybody's toes so that everybody's equally treated, right? Our society is sex-saturated. Why? Because sex sells, it gets our attention. It's the reason why a hamburger company put people who clearly had never eaten their hamburgers on their commercials. You know what I'm talking about? I'm sorry for giving you that image, but I'm just telling you. Why did they do that? Because it gets our attention, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 through 23, says that an eye and uh, our eyes are the lamps to our bodies. what you see and what you expose yourself to you become. Brain researchers tell us that we actually re- <clears throat> excuse me, really never forget anything that we see or hear. We may not be able to access it in our brains, but our brains don't ever really forget it. Psalm 101 verse3 says, "I will set no vile thing before my eyes, so here's where I go meddling and stepping on the toes. Y'all, we may have to give up books, movies and Netflix shows that we watch. Because there's a lot of junk out there. And, you're, and, and we are putting filth into our minds. 2 Timothy 2.22 says that we're to run from that stuff, to flee from it. Jesus said, remember in Matthew chapter 5, he said, if your eye causes you to sin, as he was talking about lust, what do you say to do? Cut it out. If your hand causes you to sin, what do you say to do? Cut it off. Now, I don't want you all coming back here looking like pirates next week, so let me clarify what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not literally saying to you, go pluck your eyes out. Because if you were to do that, you know what? You can still lust, right? The answer to that question is yes. That's not a trick question. You could still lust because you have the images in your mind and the things that you could think about. What Jesus is saying to you is that you need to take radical action. You need to take radical action, which means, and maybe this, maybe this really shouldn't be that radical, but you give up the things that we're watching. And you put a filter on your computer of some kind, a filter on your phone that won't allow you to even accidentally click on the wrong thing that sends you somewhere. Protect yourself. Step number five is this. Minimize the opportunity for temptation. And this is all about setting boundaries. Matthew chapter 26 verse 41 says, Keep watch and pray that you won't fall into temptation. Keeping watch simply means be diligent and alert. Pray because you never know when you might be caught off guard. So this is all about setting boundaries, y'all. If you've ever been to the top of the Stone Mountain, you know that there's a fence up there. One of the things that I noticed about the fence is it's not right there by the edge of Stone Mountain. Why is that? Well, I'd like to think that they did it so that if the fence fails, you don't immediately fall off the edge of Stone Mountain because that doesn't end well for you, right? It doesn't. So, so set your boundaries in this area so far away from the edge of what, is, what our world thinks is okay that you have no ability to mess up. Follow something like the Billy, Billy Graham rule, and I know that may sound crazy to you, but here's what the Billy Graham rule is. He was never alone with someone of the opposite sex, or at least he tried never to be alone with someone of the opposite sex. There were stories that you can read about him that would say as he was going up an elevator, if it stopped on floor four floor four, and it wasn't his floor and a woman got on, he would walk off and wait for the next elevator to come up. And I know some of you are going, well, but wait a second, I live in a world where I've got to make sales calls and i got to go talk to people. Well, be careful. Have the door open. Y'all, set your boundaries so far away from the edge. If you struggle with stuff on, the, on your computer, set your boundaries so far away that you will not look at your computer unless your spouse is sitting there next to you at home, unless you're doing emails at the office, right? I mean, it's just, y'all, just be careful. And I'm saying, when I say y'all, I'm included in that in the South, just so you know. All right, that's, that's a me too. All right, step number six is think about the consequences Think about the consequences of being involved. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to give you some homework today. I want you to write a newspaper article about you being caught in adultery or having a problem w- with lust. Now you're, Some of you are going, what? why would I do something like that? Here's why. If you think about the consequences of how it impacts your wife, impacts your kids, might impact your career, you will be more apt to take this seriously. Now, as a side note, when you're done with that, burn it. Because what I don't want to have happen is 20 years from now or 50 years from now is your great grandkids look at this piece of paper and go, wow, dad was a jerk. Because they don't know, they think that was a real newspaper article, right? I mean, so don't do that, burn it. But it will help you to think about and avoid this temptation. And then step number seven, this is not on your um, note sheets. I forgot to put it on there. Step number seven, you'll have to just write in, is get help. You're not alone. Get help. You're not alone in this. If you're struggling in this area, you need Christian community to come alongside of you. The, temp- the temptation for us when we're struggling with this is to be so guilt-ridden and full of shame that we don't want to tell other people. I get that. I understand it. But the reality is, y'all, is we need our brothers and sisters in Christ during this time. So there's a couple things that I have suggestions for you on this. is One, find a Christian counselor that will help you in this area. There's a lot of good ones out there. And go talk with them, and they will help you. But I also want to let you know, there is a group for guys, sorry ladies, we don't have one here for you yet, Um, but there is a group of guys here at Dogwood that help hold one another accountable in this area. And if you find that you need help or want help, or even if you think you might need help, but you struggle in this area, then reach out to Pastor Jay Vineyard. Um, You can go to our website, you can find his email address on there, and he will connect you with that group of guys. All right? But get help. Don't walk through this alone. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. I know that some of you may be saying to yourselves, I sure wish I'd have known this 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. Because I've messed up. Well, I want you to know this. If you have messed up, know that God will forgive you. God can and will forgive you. You don't have to live in a life of guilt and shame. You simply cry out to Him. You acknowledge your sin. You cry out and say, Lord, forgive me. Now I want to lead us in a couple of different prayers based on just different categories of people that might be in this room this morning. If you're married, then here's a prayer of commitment that you can pray right now. If you're married, pray this. By God's grace, I will be faithful to my spouse the rest of my life. I can't do it on my own. In our culture, I will be tempted. So I need God's grace and strength. Lord, help me to be faithful. If you're married, keep praying that prayer. If you're single, pray this. By God's grace, I will keep myself in purity before the Lord until if and when he brings a mate for me, I will wait for God's best. If you're single, keep praying that and pray that God would bring you a mate. If you need God's cleansing or forgiveness and forgiveness, either because of physical or mental adultery, simply pray, God, forgive me. Clean my life, Lord, and give me the strength to be and do what you want me to be and do from now on if you're not yet a follower of Christ know this that the first step in all of this is becoming a follower of Christ and so you can pray simply Lord Jesus to the best that I understand it I know that I am separated from you because of my sin all kinds of sin but choosing to go my way and not yours I ask you now Lord to come into my life to be my leader and my forgiver Now listen, if you prayed that last prayer on the back of your communication card, would you let us know about that? There's a box you can check check that says that you prayed that prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning and the opportunity to worship you. Lord, help us to be a people that live in a way that brings you honor and glory. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.